A few weeks ago, I was uh, struck with the dreaded stomach bug that was going around. Some of you experienced it. You told me all about it, and I appreciated that because you spoke that on to me. And I experienced for about 10 to 12 hours of, you know how your last intense sickness was always the worst sickness you ever experienced. Well, that's what I experienced uh, just a few weeks ago. And for various reasons, I ended up at the ER. Uh, Danae had to take me to the emergency room on that Friday. And entering the emergency room, one of the most humiliating experiences, because I don't like doctors, I don't like, I don't like myself going to the hospital, those sort of things. They had to put me in a wheelchair. It was just humiliating. I didn't want any part of that, but that's where we were on that day. That's, that, that had to be done. And they rolled me into the waiting area, and as I looked around, nobody was around. Danae had, was gone. I don't know where she went. I don't know what they made her do, but she couldn't come in there with me. They didn't let her. And I was in there all alone, and, and I don't know if they just weren't thinking. They kind of rolled me, and then I just kept rolling, and I kind of rolled over to a corner, and I was looking at the wall. And I was thinking, what are they going to do to me? Where is everyone? And the ER was totally empty. No one was there. And in a moment, I found myself in intense pain, getting very sick and very nauseous. And so a hospital seemed like a great place to call out for help. I thought that's why I was there, because I needed help. And so I started saying, I need help. Somebody help me. Now, looking back, I may have been a little bit dramatic. I thought about it. thought about what did I do in that moment that invoked such a response? Because about a minute or so after calling out for help, nobody came. I looked up and there was a security guard standing in front of me. And I thought, well, maybe they're short staffed. But I was expecting a nurse. And so I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm feeling horrible and I need help right now. And he looked at me. He had a mask on, so I don't know what his face looked like. Because I would like to know what his face looked like now. He said, well, you're going to have to tone it down. And I thought, man, I feel horrible. And I said, tone it down? I thought I was in the ER, like that's why I'm here, I need help. And I guess the nurses had had a bad day, I guess the woman at the desk had had a bad day, and he said, well, she told me that you're making too much noise out here, you're going to have to tone it down. And my mom was an ER nurse, so I began to think, what's going on? And I understand what can happen in an emergency room, and so I thought maybe he's just suspecting something shady here and I was like okay I got it I I was like I'm a pastor I'm not overdosing there's nothing shady going on here I am a pastor so you should want to help me and he looked at me again and said no you're going to have to tone it down and then he realized that I was getting upset And in that moment, the Holy Spirit just took over me because if you know me, there were a litany of sarcastic insults that was going through my mind that were going to be directed at this security guard. 
But all I could muster up, and I have no, re- I have no idea why I said this. I said, well, this is great customer service. And he looked at me and said, I'm a security guard. And I said, well, I know that now. And he said, I don't care about customer service. I said, obviously. So everything ended up okay. I'm fine now. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, I didn't, sorry, we're going to get back into the Bible. That was supposed to be an introduction. Uh, so in the Gospel of Mark, we see this interaction between Jesus and people who really, really are sick. And they are desperate to get help. And as Jesus is preaching and teaching and he begins to uh, heal the sick, this is where you should go if you're sick, to this man who can heal all your diseases, who can, people who were lame, they couldn't walk, they're walking. People who couldn't see their whole life, they can see. This is where you go for help. And so sick folks are flocking to Jesus and Mark As he puts together his stories, he also shows that there's another group showing up as Jesus is healing the sick, casting out demons, making people well. And it's the religious folks. And they show up like security guards. They show up as Jesus is touching unclean disease. Unclean folks, Gentiles who have no business gathering around a rabbi, the Pharisees, the religious, the scribes, the security guards of religion. They don't care about customer service of the sick. All they can see are really unclean people with unclean things going on in their life. And they see a man that calls himself the son of God, a rabbi. And they say, these things don't go together. They have no business before Jesus. You can't just show up to a rabbi and call out for help. Rabbis cannot just heal unclean, sick people. Y'all need to tone it down. And Mark positions these interactions over and over together. And as we've already seen in the gospel, he's trying to communicate a deeper problem, one that's more intense than health care. Remember the Pharisees as Jesus is having a meal, Matthew's house, as he prostitutes, tax collectors, the worst of the worst have gathered there. And they begin asking, why does he eat with those people? Why is he having a meal with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, the the, the most sinful of the sinful. And Jesus turns and says to them, it's not the well who need a physician. It's those who are sick. And that's why I'm here. And he was communicating something with them. It's not the spiritually well who need me. It's the spiritually sick who need me. And so as we get to the end of Mark chapter 6, we see this, this interaction that's going to begin to take place between Jesus and the Pharisees again. And Mark includes in Mark 6, 53 through 56, a summary of Jesus' Galilean ministry. He's going to move on from there. As we see in that section, that the sick, those who have disease and illness, they are tracking Jesus down. They are trying to find out where he is. 
And there are hordes and crowds of sick people who are gathering to Jesus. And the text even tells us in the marketplaces, in the public square, they don't care who sees it. They don't care who's around. They don't they don't care that he's a rabbi. They don't care that they're unclean. They gather to him to be clean. And the text says they are, they are trying just to touch the fringe of his garment. That which designates him as an authoritative teacher of the law. They realize that they can just touch his garment, his, his tassel, we might say. They will be made clean because it represents his power. And his power isn't just one where he can articulate scripture very well. There's something inherently powerful about him. He is inherently authoritative because he is pure and touching him will make them pure. And the text says he is making people whole or well. You could even translate that clean. And so as this is going on, notice verse one of chapter seven, when the Pharisees gathered to him. And so you have this great summary of ministry. And now the Pharisees gather to him. They're barging in. Notice with some scribes who have come from Jerusalem. Now, the Pharisees were those who had um, applied the law of God, the commandments of God that we find in Scripture in very meticulous ways to their life. And they bring along the scribes because those were the experts in interpretation. And, and, And they are gathering to Jesus from Jerusalem, from headquarters, from corporate if you're religious, this is where you are. This is where you teach. And now they're coming down to, to Capernaum where Jesus is. They're gathering to him. And notice verse 2. They saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now they've traveled some 90 miles to see what they saw. They're trying to catch Jesus and his disciples as they've done throughout the Gospels, throughout Mark so far. And you can imagine they come to town and they're asking people, where is Jesus? Where are those disciples? And they're trying to find them. The text says out in the marketplace. Maybe they're out to eat today. Maybe they're at someone's house and they're lurking around. Can you imagine watching from a distance to see how they eat? Watching from a distance to see if they wash their hands, watching from a distance to see if what they say is clean. If they're going through these procedures, they're showing up at people's house, you know, sort of peeping over the fence to see as they have a cookout that day. Maybe are they washing their hands? They've been in the marketplace. Are they doing what we do to make themselves clean before they eat? Notice verse three. There's an explanation for the Pharisees and all the Jews. Do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Here, Mark begins to describe traditions of the elders. Now, this refers to oral traditions. The great rabbis of the day, they would have studied the law and then they would have taught the people, how do you apply the law? What does it look like to apply the law? And over time, the the applications that they came up with the law for the law became law for all the Jews. 
This is what this rabbi says you should do at this time of the day. This is how you keep yourself clean on the Sabbath. This is what you should do here. And all of these oral traditions became law. And they, they eventually overshadowed God's law. And that's what we see going on here. But this washing of hands that is described here, it was actually a self-righteous sign of disgust toward the Gentiles. You see, the Jews saw a Gentile, a non-Jew, as unclean as excrement, as unclean as a corpse. And so if you're out in public and you come in contact with a Gentile, you have to wash to be clean. And especially if you're eating food in their presence. And so you must wash your hands. And at times it was just a a ritual of pouring water over your hands in the presence of a Gentile to declare to them that you're clean and they're unclean. At other times, maybe when you got home from shopping, maybe when you got home from the marketplace, you would have to take a full on bath. If you had encountered Gentiles or if you had shopped around Gentiles or if you'd come in the presence of Gentiles as you were eating. And we couldn't imagine going to the mall, eating at Chick-fil-A, shopping at a grocery store and then coming home and having to go into rituals of sanitation. And we couldn't do that till last year. Right now, you all know what that's like. I got to make sure to scrub that box of cereal before we eat it. Right. It wasn't a virus they were worried about. It was people. People who may have touched their belongings. At some point during the process of bringing it home. It was a self-righteous sign of disgust. And the Pharisees and scribes, they come to Jesus, verse 5, and they say, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. Now, this word walk actually is a summary of all of their traditions. And it meant if you're going to walk in righteousness, you have to do what we do. And so the question is, why are your disciples not doing what we do? What they do is unrighteous. They're eating with dirty hands. They've been around Gentiles. Why are they not doing what we do? And here the Pharisees have caught the disciples and they're actually bringing Jesus under judgment of their traditions. If your disciples are not walking toward in our righteousness. You're leading them. And so why is you why as a rabbi of the day are you not leading them in righteousness? I think it's an important question to ask. Why are the Pharisees scribes the religious here? Why are they guilty of such self-righteousness? As they look into the eyes of righteousness. As they hear the voice of righteousness. How can they be guilty of such self-righteousness? As they have seen the hands of righteousness touch and make others clean. How can they do that? It's because, obviously, they miss Jesus. 
They don't see Jesus. They don't see righteousness standing before him. They don't see God's purity standing before him. Jesus, who is inherently pure, who is making making the sick well in the marketplace. They miss him out in the wide open in public. They miss God's holiness in flesh and blood. The one who will fulfill the law, the one who would say he has a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. They miss it. And that's why they're guilty of self-righteousness. They miss Jesus. And so the extent that you're missing Jesus today, you are guilty of self-righteousness. And we're all guilty of it to an extent today. The extent that you're missing Jesus, you're not seeing Jesus in an area of your life, whether it's your church, whether it's your family, whether it's your friendships, wherever it is, you don't, you're not seeing the righteousness of Christ the only one who has fulfilled God's law, the only one who is holy, the one, only one who is purity, the, the only one who is the standard, you miss him. And so when you miss Jesus in that area, you begin to evaluate everybody else by self. And you become the standard of righteousness. Your thoughts, what you think should be righteous. And most often it's the things you really have a good handle on that you do well. And you're evaluating others, people, others, not by Jesus, by what you do well. And so how are you missing Jesus at church today? How are you evaluating other people by yourself in this moment? Because you don't see Jesus. They don't serve the way that I do. They don't carry themselves the way that I do. In that moment, you're missing Jesus. How are you missing Jesus in your marriage? Where there's tension between you and your spouse because you bring this amount of money into the home and they don't. Because you wash this many dishes every night and they don't. And instead of seeing Jesus in those moments and he's the standard, you have become the standard of the home. And you begin to critique one another. And you say, you can't be a gospel-loving husband because you, 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 you don't do what I do. Well, you can't be a gospel-loving wife because you don't do what I do. And you begin to critique the other person by yourself because you're missing Jesus, who is the standard. Jesus is the standard in that moment. How are you missing Jesus in your friendships? Where, where you critique your friends according to the time you get up and do your devotions. Oh, you can't get up at 5 a.m. for Jesus? Oh, you must not love Jesus like me. And subconsciously you begin to do those things. And the things that we have a good handle on become gospel. They become gospel in all of those environments, whether it's church, whether it's home, whether it's friendship. you got to be like me. And that's what the Pharisees, that's what the religious are doing this, the, here. They have made their traditions gospel. Now, some of you are here today and you are self-righteous about not being self-righteous. Because when I say this, you say, I don't have a problem with that. I don't care about much nothing but Jesus. And you're judgmental about those who are judgmental. Oh, they're just not as mature as me. They need all those rules. They're wearing themselves out with the rules. And any, any standard that anybody puts forward, any sort of commitment to the gospel, to the church, to others that people put forward, that you, they're a Pharisee, a bunch of Pharisees. It, it, 
it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And you begin to critique the self-righteous. And you become self-righteous about not being self-righteous. You are a Pharisee to the Pharisees. You see how easy it is to do? Why is it easy? Because we evaluate everyone according to ourselves, And whatever side we're on, that's what we do. And it's all kinds of varying degrees. And we begin to ask Jesus, why are your followers so uncommitted, lazy, and not gospel-centered? We, we would approach Jesus and say, why are these people who claim to be Christians, why are they so dirty with self-righteousness and not clean with the gospel like me? We begin to have those thoughts. So how do we fight them? Well, we have to see Jesus. We become before Jesus and we say, you are righteous. You have fulfilled the law of God. You never sinned. You always obeyed. You are perfect. You are the only sacrifice that God would accept. And we come before Jesus and say, the standard is you. And he puts our self-righteousness on blast. Because we have no righteousness to offer God in and of ourselves. And so we can't look to anything that we have done before men, any of our programs, traditions, ministries. And that keeps us from critiquing others with the magnifying glass of our self-righteousness. And so we look to Jesus before we look to anything we've done so that we do not begin to critique what others haven't done. Notice as the text continues, verse 6, and he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Now, he's talking about Isaiah who is uh, prophesying of impending judgment upon Israel. But Jesus applies it to what's going on in the moment. And he says, you hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite means to put on a mask. It means to play act, to act like an actor. And he said, Isaiah prophesied of you when he said this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Now, he says they they say the right things. They teach the right things. They even sing the right things. But their heart, who they are, is far from me. And then he describes their worship. Notice it is vain. It is empty. Meaning there's nothing in it. You come in and you go through the motions. You say the right things. You go. You, you do the right things. But but you're not close to God. It's all an act. It's all in a show. And it's empty. And he says, here's, here's why it's empty for you. Because you're teaching as doctrines what you believe, the commandments of men. Your traditions have become what people should believe. And in verse 8, this is what happens. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Your traditions eventually override what God has commanded. They become so important, you don't even remember what God commanded. You don't even know the heart of God's commandments. In verse 9, he said to them, And you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. He says, This is why you are far from me, and this is why your worship is empty. And God would say to the prophet of Isaiah, It, it would make him want to vomit the sort of worship the people of God were bringing before them. It was useless. It was empty. He would say at one point, you should might as well go kill a man and bring him in here for sacrifice. Because what you're doing is wicked. And then he begins to describe Jesus, what is called Corban. It's an offering that the oral tradition came up with where you can offer something to God, set it over to God. And it's just between you and God. And you don't have to even use it for what the law intended it for. 
It was, it, it was a loophole in the law. And he applies it to one area, which the, the commandment to honor your father and mother. And he says, y'all have gotten so bad that you encourage deeding over your property to the temple instead of folks using it to honor their parents later in life. And he says, your traditions have replaced the command of God. And in an attempt to offer God more, because a lot of times we think about the Pharisees and we think, well, they were just fake in public. They, they went about this act, but you know, they're really scoundrels. It would be really hard to find any sort of loophole in the way that they carried themselves in private. No matter how much you scrutinize them, they would come across religious in public and private. And they were a people that were trying their hardest to offer God more, and yet they ended up offering Him way less. They, they couldn't even offer Him His own commandments. And they were offering the traditions that they held to. And there was an attempt to do more, to scrutinize more, to have more regulations. And in the end, they offered him less than what he commanded, his law. In the presence of all that God commands here, we see that the Pharisees are seeking to offer God less. Think about these words. As Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah, and he says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Think about God is in flesh and blood in their presence. And he's looking at a bunch of religious people who are trying to do it the right way according to their own righteousness. And he says, you're, you think you're honoring God? God is in your presence. Jesus is right there. And, and he says, your lips honor me, but your heart is far from me and your worship is empty. And the fullness of God in flesh and blood stands before them. And what we're seeing, if we think about that interaction, is they are trying to offer God traditions, what they do, and all that God requires that anyone would offer Him is Jesus. And Jesus stands in their presence, and they're missing Him. They're trying to offer God more, and they're actually offering Him less. And so I think you should ask that question today. In an attempt to offer God more, are you offering Him Less. Are you trying to offer him more songs? If I could just get in here and sing those songs, they're great songs. I love singing with these folks. If I could just feel, if I could could just have that feeling, that worshipful feeling with my church family. And, And even you're trying to work up emotions as we're singing songs and and you're trying to think harder about all of this that that we're talking about and you're trying to work something up within you and you're trying to offer God more and you're not offering Him Jesus. You're not trusting in Jesus. You're trusting in your vocal cords to do something. You're, You're trusting in your mind to do something. And what... God says, "Is no, you come in here and you say, all we got is Jesus. And that's why you sing. Is your heart far from God because you're not offering God Jesus to be accepted? Is your worship empty? Is your service empty? Because you're trying to offer God more, 
more time, more energy, more money, more resources. And if I can just give God more, 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 more of these things and they have nothing to do with Jesus and you don't realize you're actually offering him less. And that's why some of you are burned out with this. You're wore out. Because the more you have to offer runs dry eventually. And if it's not about Jesus, it will wear you out. Well, the solution is not to do less for God. It's to only offer God Jesus. To not offer God anything less than Jesus in all you do for God. Your lips honor God when your statement in every song is, Jesus, you're all I got. You're all I got. And even from a heart of desperation, when you sing out and you cry out, sometimes it sounds good, sometimes it sounds horrible. And you say, Jesus, you're all I got. That's what honors God. It's songs full of Jesus. Service that is full of Jesus. It is not our self-righteous acts of, man, I serve on Frontline. Man, I, 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 I serve coffee. I help in kids. I signed up for VBS. I'm, I go to mission training. I share the gospel. I sing in the band. I do all of that. I'm on the media team. I, I sing and then I go back there and I change the, the music volumes all at once. I am so awesome for Jesus. And I offer that to God as righteousness. That's empty. It's empty. There's nothing there. And it will run on fumes eventually. No, you say all I do, and maybe you do all of those things I just listed. You say they're all done to make much of Jesus' righteousness. Even when you share the gospel with someone, maybe you lead someone to faith in Christ. You say, oh, that's not, that's not a mark of my righteousness that I have done. That is to make much of Jesus's righteousness. Look what Jesus did. And I'm so thankful he allows me to get to be a part of it. And all you do, you're not delighting in yourself. You're delighting in what he has done for you. And every act, every act of obedience, reading your Bible and prayer, you should walk away from and remind yourself. I would never be there. I would never do those things but by the grace of God. And remind yourself that Bible reading and prayer and going to a BFG today doesn't earn you any more favor with God. He, he's not going to love you more because you went. And in Christ, He won't love you less if you don't go. Now, I think you should go because you want to go delight in the righteousness of Christ for you. What are you offering, God? Are you trying to offer him more, but you're offering him less? Notice verse 14. And he called the people again to himself and he said, hear me, all of you and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going in to him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now we get back to food and here Jesus, he goes there. He brings up the digestive system. And he says, listen to me, there's no food, kosher food, washed, clean food, food eaten with clean hands. There's no food that defiles you because here's the deal. All food comes out of you unclean. You know what he's talking about, right? Verse 17. And when he had entered the house, the people 
and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Remember parables. Throw alongside to describe truth of the kingdom. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Now, this translation is really nice. Because after everybody leaves, the disciples are scratching their head and they're saying, why the potty talk? What's he what is he talking about? And they come in and say, Jesus, what was that all about? And he says, are you so dull? Are you so hard headed? You didn't understand what I was just describing as we were talking about the digestive system and sewage. You didn't get it. He said, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? It can't. And so why can it not file, defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach. Now think about that. What Jesus is describing here is the dirtiest, nastiest part of a person. The most disgusting, unclean part of a person. And we immediately think about bowels. And Jesus says, no, it's your heart. Food doesn't go into your heart. So food's not going to make you unclean. The reality is your heart is already so unclean. Your heart is the most vile part of who you are. And so for something to have to become unclean, it would have to enter your heart. And here he says, thus he declared all foods clean. And we'll see this in Acts with Peter. The sheep comes down and he declares to him that you can take and eat. Why? Because the issue has never been food. It's never been clean hands. It's always been a dirty heart. That's why Israel was set apart by their diet. God was teaching them something about their heart. And Jesus is teaching them something about their heart. And he said what comes out, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For And we think, well, he's talking about potty talk again. That's not the case. Verse 21. For from within the heart of man comes evil thoughts. And then he lists all these things that come out of man. A very vivid, detailed description of what comes from our hearts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, foolish, uh, pr- foolishness, pride. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. So what has Jesus been teaching the Pharisees and what is he teaching his disciples? It's this. Food is not as unclean as your heart. Your heart is what makes everything unclean, not your digestive system. Your heart, the center of the person, the center of your thoughts, the center of your will, the center of your emotions, who you are. That is what is unclean before God. And you can't change that with your traditions. You can't change that with the programs. You can't change that with ministry. To put it bluntly, your heart is a spiritual dung factory. And left to itself It will produce the dung of sin every time left to itself. This is why Jesus, when he talks to his disciples before the Pharisees in Matthew, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. You've heard it said, do not murder, do not kill. You've you've heard it said, do do not steal. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Don't lust. Don't be angry and don't covet. Why would he do that? 
Because it's always been about the heart. It's always been about what is inside. And the worst things flow from the inside of the heart. And what he would say about the the, uh, Pharisees here is the reason they come up with all of these traditions and, and things that they're requiring of others is because they have a wicked heart. And they've taken something good and turned it into something really nasty and bad that you find in sewage. They have taken the glorious law of God that the psalmist says is in all my delight. It is like pure gold. It is like silver. It is like honey. The law of God, which declares to us that God is holy. God is righteous. And we in and of ourselves will never attain his righteousness. We will never attain his holiness. The law of God, which is to draw us to Christ, to draw us to to God in Christ. What they have done is they have this glorious law. The same way they would take in really clean food. And they have taken it in in their minds and their hearts and they have turned it into toilet water. They have taken something glorious and messed it all up. And it's the same thing you're doing with the gospel today. Is you have taken the glorious gospel that says it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. His righteous life, his obedience, the one who never sinned. It's all about him. When you believe in him, it is credited to you. It's all about his life. It's all about his death in your place. And yet that comes into your heart and you don't want to believe it. And out of pride, you say it can't be all about Jesus. I got to do something. I got to attend church. I got to be a good person. I got to be baptized. I got to pray more. I got to read my Bible more. What are you doing? With your prideful heart that says it's all about you, you are taking something glorious and turning it into dung. Because your heart is wicked and from your heart flows the unclean things. And Jesus' point here is tradition can't fix your deepest problem. He called them hypocrites. He says you're, you're playing an act and, and your act is covering up your wicked heart and you're making it worse. You're making it worse. You're like a casket. You go up to the casket and it's beautiful. It's shiny. The flowers, it's all decorative. And, and, and we talk about this at funerals. We say, doesn't it look good? Aren't you? Didn't we pick out a great casket for the per, dead person? But Jesus said, but inside it's dead. It's, it's a dead person. There's bones that are going to rot. And he says, that's what's going on with the Pharisees. They look pretty on the outside, but inside they're dead because their greatest problem is their heart. And Jesus would say, if the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the law of God summarized in the Old Testament, if it is like a dagger to your heart that says, I can't do it. I can't please God in and of myself. It's a dagger to your heart. Then any tradition, any program, any ministry, any good deed that you think you can do in place of the law, it's just like putting a Band-Aid on gushing blood from your chest. Because the law of God has pierced you and said you can't do it. And you're taking little band-aids of church attendance and BFG and mission trips and prayers and Bible study. And you're trying to put it over your heart and it won't fix the problem. Because you need surgery. You need a new heart. You need a transplant. And as we've seen in our text, Jesus is the holy one who makes that happen. He is the one who makes us well. 
As we see him healing the sick, as we see him restoring people, we are to be reminded he is the only one who can make us spiritually well. He is the only one who can solve our deepest problem. We need a new heart and Jesus is the only one who can give it to us. You can't give yourself a new heart. Stop trying and repent of being a security guard. Repent of being a security guard of your own heart. Because some of y'all, when I was talking about the dung factory, you were saying you need to tone that down. No, I know I'm better than some of these people. I know I can do it. Let me go out and try to do some more. Some more worship, some more conferences, some more church stuff. He said, you need to tone that down. And maybe you're a believer here today and you really believe the gospel and you believe it's all about Christ, but you've slowly drifted in that way. You need God to work on your heart today. For you to say it's all about you need to see Jesus today and you need to be in this place only offering Jesus and you need to repent of being a self-righteous security guard. Because you're the one who's sick and you don't see it. But maybe you're an unbeliever here today. And you have to realize that you've got to stop trusting in your own righteousness or you may be here and you say, I have no righteousness, but you're still trusting in a righteousness that you don't have. And you're in despair and you're worn out. Well, let me tell all of us this, including myself. God wants our wicked heart today more than beautiful praise. That's what he wants. You can offer him beautiful praise. And your heart be far from him. And what Jesus would say is bring me your heart. Jesus is the only one who has the power to make a sick heart well. And I would say come to the cross today. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only one with clean hands and a pure heart. That's what's so scandalous about the Pharisees. Why aren't your disciples washing their hands? And they're standing before the one with clean hands from a pure heart. And the Bible tells us that instead of washing. Washing us from his hands. Being done with us. His hands are pierced for us. And instead of being washed with water, we are washed with his blood. When we believe in him, we're in his righteousness. We're covered in his death. And that is what God sees is our righteousness, and we are made clean. You know, leaving the hospital a few weeks ago, I thought, man, after I I was treated, I need to go back and just apologize to everybody. So Danae would tell you, we were walking out of the hospital, and every nurse I saw, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they would look at me and go, what are you sorry about? I said, I'm so sorry. I'd never been that sick. And the nurses were like, you don't have to apologize to us. We're, we're a hospital. We're an ER. Like, that's why you're here. I said, well, you need to tell the security guard that's why we're here. <laughs> Some of you are going to leave church today, and you're, instead of believing what I've said, you're going to start apologizing for being so sick. You're going to walk around and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad. You're even going to say that to God, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad. It's not going to be a security guard, it's going to be the Savior who I pray will look at you and say, no, you need to tone that down. 